We all know that words are important. How many words do you speak in a day? I, I didn't even look that up, but I know that there are a lot of things we say in a given day, a lot of words that come out of our mouth, some more than others. And yes, words have definitions. But what is most important about a word is how you use it. Words have a lot of different usages. When I was growing up, my dad was trying to steer me in the right direction and he always used to say to me, son, always think about what you're going to say before you say it. Why? Because once a word comes out of your mouth, you can't put it back in. It doesn't go back in, it doesn't fit. You can't undo what you say. And besides that, we all need to be really good uh, stewards of our words and use our words wisely. Jesus said that whatever's in your heart determines what you say. Too often we say things without thinking about or really realizing what our words are going to do, how they're going to impact other people's lives. Sometimes we speak with our tongue engaged while our brain is out of gear. We do that way too often. We, we don't need to waste our words. We don't need to be foolish with our words. Again, Jesus said, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good words from, from a good heart, and an evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. I tell you this, that you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. The words that you say now reflect your fate then. Neither you will be justified by your words or you will be condemned by your words. We've all seen politicians stand up in front of the cameras and say, God bless America. And every time I hear that, I cringe to a certain point because I think a lot of times it's said as if blessings are uh, automatic or as if they, they are deserved. Um, it's as if these three words somehow are uh, a magical incantation that unlock the blessings of God. Friends, I want you to know that God doesn't owe us a thing. He doesn't know us as individuals. He doesn't know our nation, anything, absolutely nothing. What we ought to be saying to God is, please, God, please, God, bless, bless me and bless our nation, bless our families, bless our churches, bless our communities. What's beautiful, and it's already been said this morning, is that God wants to bless you. He wants to pour out blessings on you. He wants to bless our nation. God loves to give us his blessings, but his blessings are not automatic. God blesses, blessings always come by way of obedience. God has set up his kingdom agenda to operate in such a way that he blesses people and institutions that are willing to follow him and to follow his ways. And, and Jesus stresses that in Matthew 6, where he says, God will give you all that you need. All that you need. How, how many of you have had more this week than you need? We, we all have. We, we, we're we're overblessed. If you're, you know, want to be honest, God will give you all that you need from day to day if you live for Him and make His kingdom, the kingdom of God, your primary concern. I want you to listen to how God instructed His people a long time ago through Moses. 
Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 1, it said, These are the terms of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites while they were in the land of Moab. They were on the edge of the promised land, on the other side of the Jordan, about to enter in. He says, in addition to the covenant that he had made with them at Mount Sinai, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, you have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh and all of his servants and his whole country, all of the great test of strengths, the miraculous signs, and the amazing wonders. But notice verse 4. He says, but to this day the Lord has not given you minds to understand, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. In other words, with all that God has shown you, you still don't get it. For 40 years I led you through the wilderness, and your clothes and your sandals did not wear out. For those of you who are parents, I, I know you wish that those $250 pairs of tennis shoes you buy your kids would, would last for 40 years. Amen? <laughs> Can you imagine that? He said you had no bread or wine or other strong drink, but he gave you food so that you would know that he is the Lord your God. He gave you everything you need. Maybe not everything you wanted, but everything you needed. When we came here, King Sion of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, they came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. Why? Because God gave them the strength. Think about that. These were slaves. These were people that had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're a mighty army, one to be contended with. He said, we took their land and we gave it to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh as their inheritance. Therefore, obey the terms of this covenant so that you will prosper in everything you do, all of you, your tribal leaders, your judges, your officers, all the men of Israel are standing today before the Lord your God. With you are your little ones and your wives and the foreigners living among you who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here today to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. The Lord is making this covenant with you today and he has sealed it with an oath. He wants to confirm you today as his people and to confirm that he is your God just as he promised and as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The key verse, as you can see, is verse 9. He says, therefore, obey the terms of this covenant so that, so that you will prosper in everything you do. It's easy to see that God has laid a pathway out for us to follow so that we can receive his blessings joyfully, joyfully. God loves to bless. And he loves you for you to enjoy his blessings. And it's very clear and, and the point is made that if you do what God tells you to do, if you do things God's way, then he's going to bless you far above anything that you ever deserve or you could ever expect. Dr. Tony Evans said, America 
attempted to do this in its early days. The effort was flawed because of unbiblical slavery, but apart from slavery, this country attempted to operate by a decentralized government where the government of God was spread out from yourself to your family, to your church, and even to your nation. He says, and we prospered like no other country in the history of mankind, even though not everybody at the top was a Christian. As I was reading through scripture, I ran across a statement that the apostle John made to a friend of his, a friend by the name of Gaius. And in fact, he prays for Gaius asking God to bless his friend materially with the things that he needs just as he has blessed him spiritually. When I thought about Gaius, I, I know your question is, well, who is Gaius? And, and, and what part does he play in this? How is this verse relevant to what you're trying to say, Pastor? Well, I did a little bit of studying and I, I tried to find out exactly who the Gaius was. And, and there are several men mentioned in the New Testament by that name. And we really don't have enough information to know exactly who John was talking about. What this I do know. Gaius was a very dear friend of John. In fact, he was a part of John's spiritual family, his community of believers. He was also a faithful follower of the Lord. He was a servant and he was a dedicated student of the word of God. He, he longed to know the truth about God because he wanted to know God. So 3 John chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Dear friend, and John is saying this to his friend as he writes this letter. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Obviously, John was expecting his friend to be blessed by God because he knew Gaius was a man of, of faithfulness to God. He faithfully obeyed the Lord. And he was living out that spiritual principle that simply says, if you do things God's way, then God is going to bless you. There are spiritual benefits that come along with godly obedience. Amen? There's a lot of them. And guess what? When you obey God and when God blesses you, then those blessings that he gives to you have a way of flowing over onto your family and to your church and to your nation. My daughter, Jen, is here today. We went to the same Bible college and we went through Dr. Lee's Old Testament class. And when you did that, you had to memorize Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through verse 12. You remember that, Jen? It was on a test. <laughs> I'm putting her on the spot this morning. We literally had to write that out on a test from the New American Standard Version. Well, I'm going to deviate from that today, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because it's a little bit easier to understand. But look with me at what this says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding." Seek his will in all that you do, and he will direct your paths. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. We need to check that, don't we? Instead, fear the Lord and turn your back on evil. Then, when you do that, you will gain renewed health and vitality. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that your land produces. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. He said, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. 
And don't be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Great words to memorize and put to heart. Folks, God will bless those who trust him and those who faithfully obey him. Now, if you were here last week, I'm sure you remember that I mentioned to you how God's kingdom operates. And it's important that we never forget that. You see, God alone rules his kingdom. God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He alone is all-powerful. And he has centralized all of his power within himself. And in doing so, he has also decentralized all human power which simply means that God governs through a plurality of human institutions such as self-government, family government, church government, and even national or civil government. So, so here it is. Hang on to what I'm about to say. This is important. God's kingdom functions through decentralized, plural institutions under his centralized leadership so that we can self-govern ourselves under his divine rule. That's the way God's world operates. Again, Dr. Evans says God desires for each of us to live out the fullness of our personal destinies and through that realization to experience him and to bring him the glory that he deserves. He also desires for the institution of the family and the church and civil government to experience these same blessings in producing fruit in line with him and in line with his word. God's got a plan and his plan brings the greatest blessings. And friends, listen, the only way that we're ever going to experience that is for each of us to honor God's role as the one true and living God who is the sovereign ruler of all things and all people and especially our own being. God will bless you if you will do that. If you'll come under his sovereignty and under his rule. My question to you is that, is, is that the case with you? Do you honor God and do you worship God as the sovereign Lord of your heart? Do you know him? Are you enjoying the full package of God's blessings? Or are you just getting the crumbs? You see, God's got a whole bag of blessings for you. You say, well, Brother Andy, what does that even look like? Man, you guys ask great questions. Can I show you? I, I found a jewel this week. I, I found a treasure in God's word. It's Psalms 128. Psalms 128. Now, I don't know who wrote this. Could have been David, could have been somebody else. But it's a beautiful psalm, and it's sandwiched right in some beautiful words that do come from David. Look with me at verse 1. He says, how joyful, how joyful, joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a, a, a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home and your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. 
That is the Lord's blessings for those who fear him. And may the Lord continually bless you from Zion. And may you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And, and may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. And may Israel have quietness and peace. I want you to notice the progression of blessing that's laid out beautifully in this wonderful psalm. And I want you to notice first thing right off the bat that blessings come to anyone who fears the Lord. To anyone who fears the Lord. Well, what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? That, that's an important question. What does it mean to fear God? Well, to fear God is to take the time and make the effort to know him personally. To know him as your God. To have an, a relationship to invest your time in having an intimate relationship with the Lord. It also involves choosing daily to live with a healthy respect and reverence for Almighty God. In one of my devotions this week by Pastor Trevor Barton, he wrote that the key to enjoying life's greatest blessings is first to recognize and enjoy the greatest blessing of all and that is our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. Now, this psalm it, it, it is really a song, and the psalmist, he, he points out in this song that the person who chooses to fear God is the very person who enjoys his work, he enjoys his marriage, his, his children, his church, his community, and even his country. The person who fears the Lord and learns to do that in a healthy way is the one who enjoys life. In these first two verses, it's easy to see that your blessing begins with your personal responsibility of self-government. We talked about that last week. What is self-government? Well, it is the, the self-control of your attitude and your action without uh, coming from external coercion. It's living in a way that God wants you to live without anybody making you do it. You do, you do it because you love God and because you want to do it and because it's something that's just uh, a, a good thing to do it's the right thing to do the psalmist says how joyful are those who fear the Lord all who follow his ways you will enjoy the fruit of your labor the fruit of your labor how joyful and prosperous you will be beginning in verse 3 we see that from there your blessings flow over and move on to your family it says your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home and your children will be like young vigorous uh, olive trees as they sit around your table that is the Lord's blessings uh, for those who fear him listen men when you become spiritually responsible for yourself as the spiritual leaders of your home that is when your wife and your children begin to flourish there's no greater blessing than having a spiritually healthy family amen knowing that they're right with God. The next group, he said in verse 5, to receive God's blessings goes on to the church. Well, as you are blessed and as your family is blessed, then next in line is your church. And I've said this many times to you. As goes the, the family, so goes the church. He says in this verse, verse 5, may the Lord continually bless you from Zion. 
in, old, in the Old Testament, Zion was always mentioned as the place of worship in Jerusalem where the temple was located. It was where God's people gathered to worship him. Well, the church is the New Testament equivalent of Old Testament Zion. Think about that. The church is to be the place of worship where God's people gather, but more so than just a place, it is a people. You see, the church is a body, not a building. It's a fellowship and not a facility. It's the people of God. And when you receive God's blessings and your heart is right with God and when you as the spiritual leader of your home can lead your wife and children to know and grow in Jesus Christ that is when God is going to bless your church God needs healthy families in the church amen he does the writer of Hebrews says try to live in peace with everyone Paul has uh, as much as is possible sometimes it's not easy to live in peace with some people but he says, try to live in peace with everyone and seek to live a clean and holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you will miss out on the special favor of God. That word special favor is the word grace. He says, watch out that no bitter root of unbelief rises up among you for whenever it springs up, Many are corrupted by its poison. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. He traded his birthright as the oldest son for a single meal. And afterward, when he wanted his father's blessings, he was rejected because it was too late for repentance, even though he wept bitterly. Look at verse 25. The writer says, see to it that you obey God, the one who is speaking to you. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, then how terrible our danger if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When you get your heart right with God as an individual and your family and your church are living right with each other and with the Lord, that is when the nation you live in receives and enjoys the blessings of God. He says in the latter part of verse 5, may you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live and may you enjoy your grandchildren and may Israel have quietness and peace. In other words, when you choose to govern yourself and your family and your church and your nation under God's authority, that is when you live in peace and that is when you enjoy God's greatest blessings and joy. Now think about it. If you want a perfect, perfect example of what happens to a nation that refuses to listen to God, you don't have to look very far. Just look at the nation of Israel. Look at what has happened to that nation over the last 1,900 years. They're scattered all over the world. There's hardly a country you can go to that you don't find a Jewish person living there. They're everywhere. And for those that have come back to their homeland, the land that God gave them thousands of years ago, think about it. They are not dwelling there in peace. They have no rest and they have no peace. Israel is surrounded by people that if they could figure out a way to do it, they would wipe them off of the face of this planet. 
People hate Jews. People don't like Jews. We're seeing it right here in America. Starting to happen more and more. So, so why, why, are, why is there no peace or rest for them? I, I'll tell you, it's simply because when God was speaking to them, they refused to listen. They refused to listen. It is a serious thing when you refuse to listen to God and the warnings that he gives. Very serious. The writer of Hebrews specifically says in verse 25, See to it that you obey God, the one who is speaking to you. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, their earthly messenger, how terrible our danger is going to be for us if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. How much time have you taken this week to listen to God? Have you heard God speak? Would you even recognize God's voice if he said something? I'm being serious. How do we even know when God is speaking? How do we know when God says something to us? What is the primary way that God speaks to us today? What's the number one way? Friends, it's through the word of God. It's through the Bible. There was a time, I'm sure, that God spoke audibly. But in my 64 years, I have never heard the audible voice of God. And I'll be honest with you, when people tell me, I heard God speak the other day, I'm careful about that. God can still do anything he's done in the past. Amen? But I'm telling you, more times than not, God speaks to us today through his word. Through the word with the Holy Spirit. And in unison, they teach us about God and the things of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer said, For the word of God is full of living power. Your Bible is alive. It's sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It can stir up in us what we don't even know exists. It exposes us for what we really are. Friends, the Bible holds supreme authority by virtue of its author. Who wrote the Bible? Well, God did. He authored it. The Baptist Faith and Message says the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. When Paul was writing his young protege, his young preacher student, Timothy, he wrote to him and said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. If you take that word, the God-breathed in the Greek, it literally means breathe out of God. From the mouth of God, it came forth. God breathed it. And God did breathe his word to at least 40 different men over a period of several thousand years. And they, they wrote it down 
And what we have today, we call a Bible, was what God said as it was all canonized and brought together, miraculously to be our Holy Scripture. You say, well, Brother Randy, how in the world did God make that happen over thousands of years? Through that many men. Well, sometimes God breathed his word into human writers to be recorded as if it was like dictation. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord touched my mouth and said, See, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah experienced that. What God gave him, he wrote down. He also spoke it. But more times than not, God divinely his divine truth flowed through the minds and the souls and the hearts and the emotions of his chosen writers. But regardless of how and by whatever means, you can be assured that God divinely superintended the accurate recording of his divinely breathed truth by his divinely chosen men. I was reading John Maxwell the other day and he said, in a supernatural way, God has provided his divine word in human words so that any person, even a child, can be led by his Holy Spirit to understand sufficiently to be saved. God alone is the king of creation. He is the ruler of the universe. He is sovereign authority. And, 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 and just the same, therefore, because the fact that God is sovereign in his authority, his word carries the same authority. The Bible is divinely inspired. It's inerrant. It's the word of God. Dr. Evans again says, just as there's, there's no higher authority in earth, uh, in an earthly kingdom than a king, there is no higher authority that you and I can appeal to than the word of God in his kingdom. The Bible is God's word. It's also timeless. God's word is timeless. I think the best way to say that is that the Word of God is the most relevant book in the world, the most timely book in the world. For example, there's a, there's a passage in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, where we have the Ten Commandments listed out, where God says, you shall have no other God before me. You shall have no other God besides me or before me. Folks, these words carry the exact same force today as they had when they were spoken and written down thousands of years ago. Sometimes people go, well, you know, Brother Randy, that, that, was, that was said in the Old Testament time. Those are just Old Testament words. Be careful. They're not just words of the Old Testament period. And they're not just ink on paper. This is the unadulterated, undiluted, infallible, inerrant, inspired word of Almighty God. And God's word speaks just as loudly whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. And no person can afford to ignore what God is saying. Nobody can afford that. You might ignore your wife. You might ignore your husband. Your children might ignore your parent or your teacher. But you best not ignore what God's trying to say to you. Why? Because your eternity depends on it. On you listening and hearing what God is trying to say to you. He is the author of his word. And his word is timeless. But let me just say this too. That the Bible is not simply words about God. It is the word of God. 
You can read your Bible and you can learn a whole lot about God and you can never learn enough about God, but you shouldn't be content with just getting head knowledge. You need heart knowledge. You need to personally know the God of the Bible. You need to know him with your heart. You see, the word of God is literally the voice of God on paper. It's what God has said through men and it's been given to us. It's active, it's alive, it's sharper than the, 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 the two uh, uh, sides of a sword. It says, it's sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for who we really are. Dr. Evans says the Bible is not the word of God emeritus. It is the manual of authority in God's kingdom, the book for which our kingdom agenda is drawn to the degree that you honor and respect and obey his word, you will live the abundant life that Christ came to give. But to the degree that you don't, you won't. You'll just enjoy a little bit of God. So, man, I, I just want to speak to you for just a minute, especially you who are spiritual leaders of your home. Are you listening to God? And are you leading your family to live under the kingdom rule of God? You know, when you go back and you study scripture, you find a lot about what God did in people's lives. And one of those men that stand out for me was David. David, we're told in scripture, was a man that had a heart for God. And he was as close to God as anybody that's written about in scripture. But I want you to notice that there was a time in David's life when David stopped listening to God. There was a time in David's life when as he stopped listening to God, he stopped leading his God to be under the sovereign rule of God. And it got him in trouble. Now you know the story. You know that story as well as I do. You know that when David should have been listening to God and leading his family to be what God wanted him to be and wanted it to be, when he should have been leading his army, he was at home. And he let his guard down. And the devil got the best of him. And the story says David had an affair with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. A sexual affair. And as a result of that, he had her husband put on the battle lines, on the front lines where he was sure to be killed. Why? He was trying to cover up his sexual sin. David. A man who was close to God, a man who had a heart for God. In a moment of weakness, when he stopped listening to God, he started following his lustful heart and he sinned greatly. Greatly in the eyes of God. David's life would never be the same. David was a songwriter. And he later wrote a song, Psalms 51, about the most shameful moment in his life. As you read it, you'll clearly see that it reveals just how terrible and how dangerous letting sin into your life can be. He talks about how sin creates a fellowship-destroying barrier between you and God. And I can only imagine David laying on his bed night after night, 
wondering why he's not hearing God speak to him anymore. And he realizes that his sin is taking him way over here. And he no longer has fellowship with a God that he loved and had a heart for. And he said in verse 3, For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will, you will be proved right in what you say. For God, your judgment against me is just. There was a fellowship barrier between David and God because of his sin. He also learned that sin causes you to lose the joy that comes from knowing and walking to God, with God. David, had, he knew that. He experienced that. He, he knew what it was to be close to God and experience all of that blessing. But now, it's gone. It left in a moment, and his life was miserable. He also learned that, that sin leaves your heart heavy and burdened. Again, I'm sure at night he lay in his bed and he closed his eyes and he tried to forget his sin and tried to get away from the conviction of his sin, but he couldn't get away from it. Why? Because sin always affects your life. And because God loves you, he corrects you. He convicts you. Conviction is a blessing from God. It's God saying, I love you too much to leave you where you are. Not only does sin affect your life, but it affects your family, those that you're close to, those that you love. But friends, worst of all, your sin offends God. It hurts God. It tears his heart out. He, he can't stand it when he sees his children suffering with sin. A sinful Life is always a sad story. But here's the beautiful thing about God's word and about God's love. I, I, I was reminded of it when we watched that Billy Graham movie the other night. Over and over and over again, Billy Graham kept saying, and God loves you, and God loves you, and God loves you. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've been with, what you've said, what you didn't do. God still loves you. And yes, a sinful life is a sad story, but it can turn out to be a good story. It can, and God wants it to. It can turn out right when you stop what you're doing and you open up your heart and you start listening to God again. And when you start making that right turn back to the Father who loves you so much. When you turn around and come to God. When you turn from your sin and yourself. Your selfishness. And you come to the Savior. That's when things start looking better. Praise God, that's what David did. When you read David's story, you find that David reached a point where he recognized that his heart was the source of of his misery and his sin and his troubles. And that's when God uh, heard David say, Lord, please affect the cause of my sin. Have an effect on me and my heart. Do something to change me. David was asking God for spiritual heart surgery. And he went to the only one that could perform that kind of eternal heart surgery that we desperately need. He, he trusted God and he cried out to God. Cried out to God. 
David didn't do it to begin with. For a long time, David just tried to cover his sin. And he tried to live with it. That's what most people do. We sweep it under the closet door and put it under the rug and we just go on and live a, a miserable life. But that's not what David did. And that's not what you need to do. Some, some of you are pretty good at that. We can put a mask on and we can live with unconfessed sin in our life. And most of the time, nobody ever notices it. But David didn't do that. Look at Psalms 51, verse 7 with me. Look at what David said. As he cried out to God, as he realized that it was his sin that had taken him far away from God, he said, Purify me from my sin. O Lord, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. For, Lord, you've broken me. In other words, you've let me hang myself. You've let me get to the end of my rope. You've allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do with my life. And God, I'm telling you that I've messed up in a big way. I can't fix this. I'm miserable. David says, I don't have any joy in my life. God, you've let me go my own way. And now you've broken me. You've convicted me. He said, but please, God, let me now rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Don't, don't keep reminding me of what I've done. Lord, remove the stain of my guilt. And in verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. If there was ever any hope for David being right and being at peace and rest, God was going to have to do it. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, don't abandon me. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could leave you. And David was worried about that. He, he saw that happen to Saul. And he didn't want that to happen in his own life. So he says in verse 12, Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Make me willing to obey you. Why in the world did God hear David say, Lord, make me willing to obey you? You want me to tell you why? It's simply because we are so much spiritually, we're, we're so spiritually weak, far more than we ever understand. We're weak. We're not good at obeying God. Our sin nature is strong and it wants us to do everything that's wrong and do the things that God doesn't want us to do and not do the things that he does want us to do. We are weak. And what makes it even worse is that Satan knows your weakness better than you do. He knows what to do to get you off track with God. He knows how to lead you down that wayward path. 
He's a master at it. And all he has to do is get you a half a degree off on today. And, and by the time you get 20 years down, you're, you're miles and miles away from God. And you wonder, how in the world did I get here? Folks, we're weak. Satan is the master of deception. And besides that, Jesus is the only one who can give you victory over sin and death. He's the only one that can help you conquer the sin that you struggle with. He's the only one. You can't quit sinning. You can't. I, I tell everybody that goes through my class, sin is like Lay's potato chips. You can't eat just one. You eat one, you're going to eat the whole can. One of my, <laughs> I, I, I love something salty. And it seems like I love salty things right before I go to bed. And if I'm not careful, I, I did it last night. I went and got the bag of potato chips and got me something to drink and I ate me a few potato chips. But, you know, I didn't eat the whole bag. Praise God, I have. <laughs> I ate a few and I put the, clothespin back on the bag and put it back in the pantry sometimes we can't stop our sinning sometimes we just sin and we sin and we sin and we sin and before long our life is so miserable and we wonder how did I ever get here friends Jesus is the only one that can deliver you from that he's the only one that can give you victory look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He's writing to a very sinful church. People who came out of the world. Corinth was a cesspool of paganism. And many had been won to Christ. And now they were the church. And yet they still had all kinds of problems because they were trying to bring their world into God's house. And one of the things Paul reminds the, them of is, is found right here in this verse. He said, how we thank God. Why? Because God's the reason that they were there. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. How about you? I shared my testimony the other day just a little bit uh, in, in our faith class. When I was 16, I was struggling with life. You ever found a 16-year-old teenager that wasn't? I don't think so. Most of us go through a phase, and especially in those years. Why? Because the devil's trying to get you before God does. But going through those years as a teenager, I struggled with sin like everybody does. And I could not quit some things. Oh, I could stop doing some things for a week or two, maybe a month, but then there it would be. And I'd fall right back into that trap, and here we go again. And I struggled, and I struggled, and I struggled. And I remember going to a revival service with Emory Williams preaching. 
And that night he preached a message called, That's Not All There Is to Life. His scripture text was John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'd been trying to quit things. And what I really needed was forgiveness. I needed victory. I needed strength I didn't possess. And that night when Emory Williams gave the invitation, I went forward and I said, Emory, I don't understand everything I need, but you've said that if I come and I trust Jesus, I can get forgiveness. And I think that's the best place to start. Because until I'm forgiven, I'm never going to be able to leave, live right for God. And I asked Jesus into my heart. And I gave my life to Jesus. Didn't make me perfect. But it started a walk that I continue today. But the beautiful thing is, is that he forgave me. He gave me victory over the things that had been enslaving me. And there were some things that I quit instantly that I've never had a part of in my life to this day. And to God be the glory because he's the one that brought the deliverance, not me. There were other things that he had to teach me how to quit, like using my words in the wrong way. I, I shared the other day that I tried to be a part of a group of guys, neighborhood boys. To be a part of that group, you had to chew tobacco, dip snuff, drink beer, sometimes moonshine, or cuss well my dad was smart enough to know that if I went home having dipped or chewed or drank or smoked he'd smell it he'd find it and he'd catch me but I learned how to speak two languages I could speak a language with that group and then I could go home and I could clean that language up and daddy would never know that I could cuss like a sailor. But you see, the scripture is true. Garbage in, garbage out. From a good heart, man speaketh good things. From an evil heart, man speaketh evil things. And what I learned and what my dad learned was when a little bit of pressure is put on you, when you get yourself in a bind, you'll say things that you don't want your daddy to know. And so therefore you don't do what your dad told you to do. He said always think about what you say before you say it because you can't put words back in your mouth. But friends, listen to me. When you let those things get on your hard drive and your life gets a little twisted, when you hit your thumb with a hammer and you smash it, you'll cuss if those words are inside you. Well, listen, those words will always be on your hard drive. There's not a cuss word I've ever said that I can't say today. But the Bible says, walk in the spirit that you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let the Holy Spirit come into your life through the, the person of Jesus Christ and let him suppress that old you and that sin nature that you were born with and live that way with God. 
Friends, some of us are letting the enemy get the best of us because he's controlling our mind and our actions and our tongues and we're saying things and doing things that we ought not be saying and doing. Amen? How about letting him have victory? How about you experiencing victory? Why not trust, trust Jesus with a part of your life that you've never given him? See, most of us want to give God just enough to get us into heaven. But we're not willing to turn everything over to him. Listen to me. Until you do, you will never know victory. And you'll live in misery. And you'll be up and down, up and down, up and down. And you'll never know peace nor rest. But if you give your life to Jesus... And you'll trust him. He'll give you the victory you need. Will you do that this morning? I, I, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. And we're going to have a time of invitation. I, I can't make your sin go away. But Jesus can. And I know him and I know how to help you know him. And if you need him, he'll come. We'll help you to start that relationship with God that you need. So that you can have the victory that can set you free. Will you bow your heads with me? Will you close your eyes? Will you pray with me? Father, everybody in this room is in the same boat. We're all human beings. We all live in a, first, a, a fleshly vessel. We all were born with a sin nature that in the beginning was, was, it was almost like it was asleep, Lord. But as we grew physically in stature, that old sin nature that we were born with began to wake up. And it began to get active. And, and along with the enemy and him knowing our weaknesses better than we do, he began to put temptation in front of us, Lord, that, that took control of our lives. And, and some of us to this day are still being controlled by our sin nature. Some of, some of us, Lord, don't know Jesus. And we, we don't have the strength to say no to the things, Lord, that, that we don't need to be doing. Some of us even right now are thinking, well, I can't do anything about my sin today because if I do, people are going to know I'm a sinner. Well, God, you've already told us that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us that are perfect. But God, you're not here to love perfect people. You're here for sinners. You're here to love us in spite of who we are. And in spite of what we've done, your grace and your mercy is more than efficient to cover us and to cleanse us and to make us right with you. Father, my prayer today is for you to set people free, to give them the victory that I experienced that, that day as a 16-year-old boy. And quite honestly, to, to experience the victory that, that I desperately need every day of my life. Oh, Lord, I still have that sin nature. We all do, even after we're saved. God, we have to walk in your spirit to suppress that old sin nature. 
We have to be close to you because if we don't, the devil will get the best of us. There are some here this morning, Lord, that are living lost. And yet there are even some, Lord, that are saved, but they're miserable because they've drifted away from God. Lord, do your work, please. Help us with our struggles. Give us victory through Jesus. Help us to draw close to you and may your word affect change and bring about a changed heart in us. Oh God, we surrender our life to you. We ask for that mercy and grace that we desperately need. Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Help us to know that forgiveness. We love you, Lord. We call out to you today. Please, God, help us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand? Will you do more than just stand this morning? Will you come and make things right with God? Don't leave here miserable. Go in God's grace. Come as God leads your heart. He's calling you to come. Will you come?